0: From the beautiful city of Hollywood, we bring you Film Forward, the official podcast of the Los Angeles Diversity Film Festival. Hey, hey, welcome to Film Forward, everybody, the official podcast of the Los Angeles Diversity Film Festival. Today, we are joined by LADFF alum Nicholas Mim him and Rostam Zafari, they have a new film that is going to be screening with L.A. D.F.F. on September 23rd. It is a powerful and poignant documentary. Bubjon is the title. Uh, this documentary chronicles the journey of Bubjon, uh, an Iranian man who has been living in exile in the United States since the Islamic Revolution in 1979. He was a member of the Iranian parliament where he dedicated his life to cultivating a progressive, modern, and free society in Iran. But the rise of the Islamic Republic eclipsed those aspirations and forced him to leave everything he knew behind. This film is uh, its a story that sticks with you. I'll just say that. And uh, it's a film not to be missed. It's a story to be heard. You can see it with us once again on September 23rd. But for now, uh, we're going to speak to these uh, amazing filmmakers with a great story to tell. All right, we're honored to be joined by director Nicholas Mim and executive producer Rostam Zafari. Thank you both for being here. Uh, congratulations on this remarkable film, Boujon. Nicholas, why don't you uh, start us off here and tell us a little bit about this film and, and, and how it got started?
1: Yeah, so I had met Rostam a couple years ago while finishing up a film. We actually had met in Greece Uh, while we were filming with Helen Maroulis, who's an Olympic wrestler. And Helen was friends with Rostam and we had gotten introduced to each other and Rostam and I just became instantly friends. And uh, months later, Rostam had kind of approached me and was like, hey, so I have a story that I wanna tell. And it's a story of my grandfather. And we're doing a series of in-depth interviews with Humans of New York creator, Brandon Stanton and I would love to film it. So he invited me down to Atlanta, went down there with a crew, filmed it, um, was just only kind of on for as like a producer, wasn't planning to do anything uh, past that. We didn't really have a an end goal for the film. It was just kind of to get Bub John's story on record and just, you know, just to be able to have it stored somewhere just so we could refer to it later so rostom and his family could refer to it later and just after i think after the first day right rostom i think after the first day we were like okay this needs to be a film at least a short film the stories that Bub john is telling right now is are pretty insane and uh, we should definitely uh, pursue this further and talk to brandon stanton about it and he agreed and here we are
0: and rostom how did you a get connected with Brandon, but even before that, what kind of inspired you to, I guess, document your grandfather's story? I mean, obviously it's it's such an incredible story and includes so much like rich, rich history about Iran and, and himself, but what motivated you that it was like time to get this down on paper and recorded?
2: Yeah, I... I think it must have been middle school or maybe even earlier when I started recording my grandfather's uh, life and his lessons. I always thought he was like the most wonderful, kind, loving human being. And he just felt like, you know, he felt different from almost anyone else I've met as a kid. And even now he feels different. And mm-hmm. I started, you know, one, one day my goal was to write a book that like told his whole life story. And I love writing. I still do it loved poetry. Um, And so I had all these recordings as a kid. And then I think because I loved, you know, my grandfather, and the passion he instilled for poetry, I really got into storytelling and literature, which then drew me to humans in New York. So if you had asked, you know, most 13 or 14 year old kids, what's your favorite artist? Uh, I think very few of them would have said Brandon Stanton. But since I was 13 or 14, I would say that like other people would say like famous musicians or like, you know, Drake or whoever, but I would have been like, you know, Brandon Stanton. And so I I read his stuff since I was a kid and fantasized about, you know, having a story there and all that sort of stuff. And years later, I was talking about it to someone in New York and they're like, oh, well, I I have his email. So I shot him an email and, you know, nothing happened. And one day, like six months later, I just was like, you know what, I'm gonna send a second email and just you know, followed up. And that same day, I think he got back to me. And we jumped on a zoom call. And I found out that he, you know, outside of New York his, you know, he lives in Decatur, and it's not, um, it wasn't too far from me, right. And I, I just, I was like, wow, this person who I was like, one of my longtime heroes lives 15 minutes down the road. And, you know, we became fast friends ever since.
0: And and was he the more you started talking to him, the more you started talking to him about your grandfather, was he was he hooked and 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 that kind of motivated both of you guys to to take the next step to to document uh your grandfather's story
2: you know it wasn't clear cut or you know simple any sense i i definitely pitched it early on because you know i I it's always been on my mind you know but brandon's an incredible artist and he has a lot of runs into a lot of amazing people with with great stories to tell so i definitely think it was on his mind and you know, when he did wanted to pursue it, he thought it would be a several, you know, maybe a three or four post series. It would take two interviews. You know, it wasn't something that um, that we didn't anticipate from the beginning. It would take on the life that it did, right? And now we're forty-two interviews in, and these interviews last two, <laughs> three hours. Um, and you know, and, and Brandon has told me just the how much it shaped him as a human being, and how how much my grandfather's ideals and, and, and take on life and on wisdom how much it shaped him as a person. So that was personally really rewarding to hear to see one of my heroes, right, like artists, tell the story of like, you know, one of my greatest heroes, is my grandfather, it was just it just feels very surreal. And I just definitely see in an invisible hand kind of moving all this along.
0: That's incredible, man. What, a, what an incredible story. And obviously, your grandfather has an incredible story. As you talked about, like, growing up, you were hearing his stories and, and, and blown away by them. But did the experience for you shift at all when you decided to dive full bore into this project? Um, what was this experience like for you in terms of like documenting his story? Did you learn anything uh, new about him, about your family's history while you were making this film?
2: Great question. I feel like the luckiest person in the world. I wanted to tell my grandpa's stories and I had the chance to now work on it you know, with some amazing artists like Brandon, like Nick, like Lisa, in two different modalities and film and the written word. And they're very different. And they're very similar too in some ways. I think starting off, I felt that I knew this story. Uh, and I just wanted to share it with other people. And the more interviews I did, the more I was a part of these two projects, the more I realized, I'm actually the person who gets to benefit the most because I get the most raw amount of time with my grandfather. And I think that was my takeaway was like, you know, no matter if these things didn't go anywhere, it was still the greatest use of my time I've, I've ever spent. And I always tell people, go just spend some time with your grandparents and just, you know, serve someone you love in your family and just spend four or five hours capturing all the questions you wish you would have asked 20, 30 years from now, because they really are a treasure trove. And I, I felt like I got to know my grandfather more deeper than ever, my culture, my family, and just so much more, um, yeah, and, and you know, oftentimes, you you miss the details when you just don't dig in and these small details that i guess my grandpa didn't think were uh particularly useful for me to know they're, they're magic they're magic and they make me smile mm-hmm. and i and i use them in my daily life and i re- recount the stories and so i i um i really enjoyed the process
0: yeah story you know little things like him growing that tree in his garden were just like wow that's you know Obviously, the political work he did is incredible, but like talking about like nurturing life in his garden as kind of like an introduction to this character as a as a as a co- as a child was like I found really fascinating and allegorical in a really beautiful way.
2: Absolutely, and also like you know, I for example is I I knew that he had wrote a particular poem for my grandmother, but to get mm. the context and the condition of you know, when he wrote it, and and why he wrote it. And to understand, like, even I mean, I think what came out a lot in the this is like their love story, too, of of like, how they were separated for four years, and how she wrote every single day, she wrote him a letter. I mean, this is like the notebook, the Persian notebook on steroids, right? And these are just examples, (laughs) like, where his father uh, was worried that he wasn't going to win the race, because he's too much of an idealist. And he told his dad, hey, I'm not trying to win this. And his dad's like, once he realized that he goes, okay, well, then I'm going to give you the one thing I can, which is this Jeep. And you go across and you do what you need to do, right? Like these little moments that happen. Brandon will tell the tell a lot more of the story uh, here in a bit. But there's just these elements that for me personally had profound impact. And yeah, I couldn't be more grateful to have like discovered these moments.
0: And yeah, Nick, why don't you touch on what your experience was like making this film, sitting there throughout this interview process, not growing up with... This mm-hmm. man and hearing his his incredible story. I mean,
1: I think, like I said earlier, I, I started off this project just as a producer, so I was just kind of in the back room, you know, with my comtech on, the headphones on, and was just listening to these. Everything's done in Farsi, so I was just listening to Rostom's translation, and sitting back there on my laptop and like trying to do other work. Um you know preparing for the for the next the next part of the shoot or the next day, and not being able to focus because I was you know pretty captivated by you know the journey that bob john had had gone on and you know his time as a boy in Iran, his uh time in parliament in Iran, and then his ultimately having to flee like it just it like was very clear to me that there was a way there was an avenue for a film, uh, and for at least a short film. And hearing like like you mentioned, Nick, the the story of the mulberry tree and the garden and hearing him and his, you know, stressing importance and how, you know, gardening as a child like taught him how to nurture things and and then using that nurturing aspect of his personality to nurture the community and villages across Iran. You know, it's just it was just like very clear. I could already see like the dots kind of connecting during the time and approach roston was like hey man let me direct this like mm-hmm. let's uh let me direct this let's let me come back in a couple months and let's do more interviews and that's really all a credit to uh, the interviews that brandon does you know obviously he's got he's built this huge platform that's been so successful for so for so long and it's because he's an amazing interviewer and before jumping on this project i did pride myself in my interview capabilities and how I talk to subjects for my documentaries but then watching Brandon I was like oh my gosh I am a noob like I am I don't know what I'm doing and so it was really on that kind of level it was great to uh to kind of watch the master work and even with the language barrier you know there was just like a finesse to it and a finesse to the way he asked questions the way he communicated with Bub John and really allowed Bub John to open up and to kind of spill everything and So it was a great learning experience. And then then jumping into the edit was, you know, a really tough challenge because I do not speak Farsi and it is a very beautiful and very complicated language. Uh, Rostam and I were spent hours and hours going through these transcriptions and translations because you ask one Persian person what this means and then it means something completely different to another. So, um, (laughs) you know, kind of going back and forth, uh, the two of us just trying to find the most beautiful and poetic way to tell it, um, mm. uh, was a real challenge. And we have, a had amazing editor, Azadeh Navai, who, who jumped in with us towards the beginning. And she really helped us out because she's from Iran and, um, this story really connected with her and, and so that she was extremely helpful and, and then just learning about, you know, I was not that, uh, familiar with the history. Like I think, you know, I've told Rose on this before, like the most I knew about Iran's history was probably from the movie Argo. So, and I don't even think, you know, I think it's come out that that movie hasn't, you know, took some liberties in the historical accuracy of it. <laughs> oh, but, <I'm> um, sure. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, amazing movie, but it still took some liberties. But, you know, and just kind of learning about the Shah and like really taking a deep dive into the Shah and his family and like, you know, the things he was trying to do for the country and trying to make it a progressive country. But at the same time, not being able to really compromise power or something like that and having this secret police under his wing and but also you know trying to do a lot of good at the same time so it was like this very contradictory very a lot of conflict between you know internal conflict with that man and uh it was just really interesting and i think uh uh something that I was, i'm really grateful to be able to have taken a deep dive into
2: and i got to say nick that it's not easy to be able to speak about Iran in a way that, that's that's honest. It doesn't emotionally trigger a large community of people. I don't know. Maybe the best way to describe it is I love Lord of the Rings, and I think we all like want to be like Aragorn to some extent or one of those cool characters, but the Iranians were kind of like the dwarves, you know, we're like mm-hmm. a very proud people. We're like, we fight about everything. We like, there's a lot of disagreement on, on like, you know, even on basics of what has happened in the past. And so I think, how do you present the truth, right? And, and I know that's probably the core question for documentaries, for storytelling in general, is a core question at least, but that's something that, um, it really takes a commitment to not flattening the different ontological levels of being that are happening at any given one time in a society, and I think Nick did a phenomenal job of that. I think uh, Brandon has done a phenomenal job of that. And there's some people you wonder, wait, how did that person pull that off? But with Brandon, you don't have to wonder. The guy is a complete animal, like of a workhorse. I mean, he wakes up at three, four, and he's works. You know, he's riding five, six hours every single day, and he knows more about Iranian history and culture than almost any Iranian I've met. Um, I remember wow. him starting. My, my dad was very, my dad's, he's always been someone who he provides the opposite point of view on the projects I've worked on and is very stern in the way he uh, judges and the way he is critical of projects. And because he's, you know, he's a historian at heart and he's an academic and he wants things to be right. And so when he heard Brandon was going to tell the story of, you know, his father and of Iran into some level in in the Book of Kings. He was not uh, very convinced. And he sat down with Brandon and he tried to give him an impossible task. He gave him like 20 books to read and all these suggestions. And Brandon read them all in like two or three weeks. And I remember coming back and my same dad who had expressed uh, significant concern was like, this guy is like, amazing. Why don't you know as much history as Brandon, you should study Persian <laughs> more. And it backfired on me, but I was so happy. Yeah. because it, it meant Brandon had won a huge victory in the heart of my father, uh, which I was like, if he can win the heart of my father, he can win the heart of anyone when it comes to Iranian history and culture. <laughs> yeah,
0: that it's all systems go.
2: <laughs> Amen.
0: What has your father and your grandfather, have they seen this film now? And if so, what were their thoughts?
2: For me, one of the most magical parts of making of being a part of the making of this film was watching it for the first time with my dad and my grandpa. It was we watched it in my childhood room where me and my twin brother like had bunk beds and same home we've had since we were two years old. It is not a particularly big home. I think when my dad first got it, it must have been like fifteen hundred square feet. And so the three of us were sitting on that childhood bed, or one of us maybe had a chair next to it. I remember looking over and just seeing them both like just tears streaming down their face, and these stories that they had told in their own words now being brought to life with just amazing talent. I mean, we are our sound design people, our animator, our director. I mean, it was just you know, I've seen the film. I don't know 30, 40, I don't know how many times, and it just it just every time it it just it just strikes a really deep chord, you know. And I, I knew it did for them, and it it made me so happy to see because you know when we first discussed this. Most almost everyone in my family didn't want me to pursue this because we're a pretty, you know, private family. Um, Mm -hmm. and I think they had some of them had asked my grandfather in the past to tell a story, and he had always kind of been more hesitant. But, um, this time he had said, You know, I, I trust Rustem and uh, he has my vote. And that to me, just to have that responsibility and that trust of my grandfather and be able to deliver it for him in a way that now my whole family loves it was like the ultimate the ultimate um, privilege. As you
0: both touched on, Bob John, he, he speaks so poetically about his story and the history of Iran, but there's, you complemented it with beautiful poetic imagery in many different mediums. As you, as you talked about, there's animation, which is gorgeous. There is historical footage. There's recreations if you can talk to us a little bit about your visual approach to telling this story and, and how you decided to incorporate those mediums.
1: Yeah. Um, I think, and roast you you might remember this. I think, you know, when we were first disc- when I was still a producer on the film and we were discussing the possibility of me jumping on as director and like taking it to the end, I think the first thing we talked about was like, we should animate some of these stories um, mm-hmm. because, you know, just the descriptiveness um, that, that Bub John gives us, you know, talking about his childhood, talking about his family and the little gardens that they grew. Like, you know, I'm not a huge fan of recreations. Like, we have a little bit of that in this film, but I feel like you just being able to animate, having that privilege to work with the animation team of Neon Zoo and Elise Kelly. It just opens up so many doors for you creatively and aesthetically. And this is the second time I've I've worked with that team, um, the first time being in the Dark of the Valley, which Los Angeles Diversity Film Festival graciously played a couple of years ago. And so kind of already being familiar with the process, I was like, there's no question that we should do this again. Like, it was so much fun the first time. I've learned so much more as a director and as a filmmaker. I think maybe the first call that we had was to Elise and her team immediately jumped on. And uh, a lot of her team are spread out across the world. Some are from Iran, some are from Syria. Um, and some have had to deal with uh, similar stories in their family's history. So they were so amazing and, and so passionate about the project and uh, brought a feel and an emotion to it and uh, and just like this, this love and care to it that I don't think... Um, you know, just straight archival or straight reenactments could have really given it. There's just, uh, it opens up so much for us and very grateful that we were able to do it again.
2: And I think visually, one thing, you know, where the cameras were pointing and what they were capturing, you know, that's all under under Nick's purview. I think the thing that I wanted to really make sure was that we were grounding it in truth, you know, because early on, mm-hmm. you could you could go to a many different places to shoot some of these scenes. But my grandpa lived his whole life being who he is, you know, not more than that, not less than that. And so it for me, it was really important that we stayed true to his actual life to his actual habits, like the garden that he tends is actually his garden, the road he walks is actually the road by our house, you know, the house he's in is actually his home, you know. And so I think that was one piece that touched on that. And the second was, another piece was the home itself, like, I felt growing up, I lived in a little Iran, like our home is a, almost like a museum that uh, uh, in the sense that it's collecting all these, you know, articles and photographs and poems and like these little, you know, reminders of where we come from culturally. We have a, you know, a jar of soil, which is very standard for like Iranians to have from Iranian soil. There's, you know, our great poets are, you know, my, my grandfather's copy of the Book of Kings from when he was a kid. And so... It lends itself, I think, very well visually. And then to Nick's point with animation design, one of my friends, Hamid Rahmanion, is a great illustrator of the Book of Kings. And Elise's team was able to take his illustrations and just breathe life into it in a way that I just found so cool. And just animation itself, because animation can show things that are true on a higher plane of reality. You know, it's they're spiritually true. Like, Yeah, and I don't want to give too much away from the film, but there's just these scenes where, you know, they're able to create, through magical realism, what is happening both physically and what is happening metaphorically, uh, in a way Mm -hmm. that I don't think another medium could do as well. And that was the part like, you know, I feel like a kid on Christmas, every time we got a new series of animation sketches, because you know, the sketches move from like, immature to kind of completely done over a series of, you know, several weeks or months. And so every new version has some new element and whether it was a Persian chai glass or whether it was Nick's dog or Lisa's cat in the big you know it it made me so happy to see it come to life you know and and you could tell that it was everyone who worked on this project was proud of it and was putting their own thumbprint on it which to me was really cool because my grandpa's life is all about getting buy-in and participation and and doing things together and I think that the film is able to uh, spread that same message not only in its message but in its making which I think is important.
1: That, that was is, the only that is, time. So that was the only time I've uh, ever abused my direct director power was asking Elise and her team to animate my little
0: dog <laughs> in, <laughs> in one of the scenes. Uh, that's amazing. What a, what a, what a great story. I think you know this film is so uh, well. It's incredible for you, Rostam, that you can document your grandfather's life and experience. But it's also. Uh, I think in an, an important film uh, and story to be released now as we're seeing uh more and more countries kind of flirt with tyranny or or elect uh tyrannical leaders flirt with oppressive regimes and stuff and I couldn't help but think about that while I was watching it so I wanted to see if you had any thoughts on that if you noticed any parallels to the world we're living in today and then if you could also discuss the current situation in Iran.
2: Yeah, absolutely. To your first point, I think so much of this, of this film and my grandpa's story is uh, rising up against injustice and against tyranny. And so much of it is about memory, both an individual's memory and a society's memory. Because if we don't know who we are, and we're not connected to that, it's hard to help ourselves. I think that's something Mm -hmm. that this film drives home and that's i mean that's the power of culture my my grandpa talks about culture like like a river in the sense of the the water itself or the generations that have come and gone but the actual movement that dynamicism uh that momentum is culture right and so if we're rooting our culture in things that are tolerance justice open mindedness inclusivity diversity then that river is able to run and if we become close minded and close hearted then it becomes a swamp and those are all secondhand ideas I learned from my grandfather. But I just I love that image that he that he gave, uh, gave me recently when I, when I asked him a similar question. And it's important to to understand that it's easy to look at places abroad, but tyranny creeps up in our own backyards, and sometimes even in our own hearts, you know, with, with our egos and polarization in this country. So I think that my, my grandpa talks that like, voting is not just a democracy. It's something you do once say once or a few times a year it's really feeling ownership for your community and acting and participating and finding ways that you can use your gifts for the betterment of, you know, yourself and those around you. And so what, is, what does that more active look like? You know, in Iran's situation, to, to touch on your last point, was Iran now for about 44 years has been under a radical Islamic theocracy that, you know, kills people for having different views on sexuality or on God or on any number of things. And You know, a lot of it was a sense of complete arbitrariness, you know, calling vague punishments like crimes against God and murdering people without trials. And not only that, um, telling their families they can't come out and mourn their son or their daughter. We're talking, you know, anywhere from nine-year-old kids, you know, to to adults, Uh, you know, and when the uprising happened in in September, there was, you know, been about over 20,000 young people under the age of 21 uh, imprisoned for for nonviolent protests, And I know that this September 16th, the anniversary of the murder of Mas Amini, the people of Iran are going to take to the streets again uh, and unite again. And so I think the idea is one of solidarity that runs through this struggle in Iran and this struggle that countries all around the world face. And I think a good illustration of this is uh, one of our poets, Sadi, wrote this little passage where there's 100 people who their caravans get ransacked by two thieves and everything they have is stolen from them. And finally, someone asked that, that group of people, How come you were able to get robbed? There's a hundred of you and there's only two of them. And they answer, Well, those two were together and we were all alone. I think that's where mm. we are right now.
0: Mm. Incredible. Bub John, everybody. Come see it with us. It's an incredible film. It's a beautiful film, and it is screening at the Los Angeles Diversity Film Festival on Saturday, September 23rd, as a part of the No White Flags Shorts Block, Uh, and tickets are on sale for that right now at LADFF.com. Nicholas, Rostam, thank you both so much for being here today. Thanks for sharing your story and such an insightful, incredible story you have. So uh, thank you both. Thank you, Nick. Yeah, thank you for having us. Thank you all for listening to Film Forward, and we'll catch you next time. Our recording engineer and mixer is Anselm Kennedy. The podcast is produced by Anselm, Sonia Maru, and yours truly. Thanks for joining us on Film Forward, and you'll hear us next time.